Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem Studio. I am Amir Oren, filling in this week for Jonathan Hessen. When historians look at the Middle East and uh, great power participation in its uh, politics and intrigue, they uh, point to the uh, First World War and uh, the demise of the Ottoman Empire when the British and to some extent the French took over. And then a world war later, the gradual uh, evaluation of uh, British policy to the effect that the Americans and to some extent the Soviets uh, went in. Will the historian of the future look at our current age as the time when the Americans stepped back and the Chinese started coming in to the uh, Persian Gulf, to the uh, Levant, to the Eastern Mediterranean? This is, of course, a topic um, made even more current with uh, President Xi's uh, latest uh, trip uh, to Saudi Arabia. And in order to analyze it, uh, we have a distinguished panel. Next to me is uh, Reserve Colonel uh, Ruven Ben Shalom, a cross-cultural expert with particular expertise on Chinese affairs. Hello, Ruven. Um, retired Colonel Dr. Eran Lerman, formerly of military intelligence and the uh, national security staff. Hello, Aaron. Wearing a Chinese tie, yes. A Chinese tie, that's very good. And uh, with us for the first time, hopefully uh, not the last, is Tuvia Gehring, who is a researcher at the Institute for National Security Studies, INSS, in Tel Aviv. Diane and Guilford Glazer Foundation, Israel-China Policy Center, and a non-resident fellow in the Atlantic Council's Global China Hub. Hello, Tuvia. Let, let me first uh, turn to you. Um, are we seeing too much into um, President Xi's visit uh, to Saudi Arabia, the uh, royal welcome uh, he was given uh, by uh, both uh, King Salman uh, and uh, the heir apparent uh, MBS? Um, is it um, uh, merely... Uh, what one would expect in diplomacy, China, of course, has ties with Iran, Saudi Arabia's um, adversary. Um, why shouldn't he try uh, to go across the pond, across, in this case, the Arabian or Persian Gulf, and do it uh, with the most important uh, oil producer uh, in the area? Or is it really a seminal event? Yes, so thank you for the question. And I think some of the answer is already in your question. And during the visit and after the visit, and a bit before, it is very easy to frame Xi Jinping's arrival to Saudi Arabia as in the, in the terms of great power competition, because uh, as we know, China and the US great power competition is so fraught nowadays that it wouldn't matter when Xi Jinping made his visit, it'd still be framed as so, as something to, as a snub to Washington. Uh, but as you say, over the last three decades, but especially since Xi Jinping came to power a decade ago, uh, China has emerged as a veritable Middle East power. And it used to be about energy security, 
it's still a very important aspect of their relation. They call it the balaston, but it's way more than that. And anyone framing it otherwise is missing the bigger picture. Uh, inherently, Chinese ties to the Arab world, to Saudi Arabia, uh, but the Arab world in general, have become strategic, not just as a declaration, but they are more involved across the board in all these different fields, uh, much more than energy security, as I said, including technology and development and infrastructure, of course, health, innovation, uh, dialogue among civilization, they call it, culture, and so on and so forth. Thank you, Tuvia. Now, Iran, um, when uh, Israel goes on a date with China, presumably both sides um, uh, agree on the terms for the date, Israel comes with a chaperone, with the United States. It is not independent in that relationship between Jerusalem and Beijing. Is this a fact that Israel can get away from? No, I wouldn't describe it in quite uh, these terms. Uh, Israel is an independent player, but it is an independent player with a profound relationship with one of the two great powers and a much less, um, let's say, obligatory uh, relationship uh, with the other. With the United States, uh, our relationship uh, is based on years of, uh, of cooperation. It also reflects, and I had an opportunity to explain this from time to time to Chinese interlocutors, it reflects the fact that the other half of the Jewish people lives in North America, more or less, with, with minor uh, other elements in diaspora. And therefore, our, na our national existence is bound with that of the United States in ways which are less relevant in the case of China. What has made uh, the situation even more acute in recent years, uh, since, uh, particularly since the Biden administration took up uh, the, uh, the, once again the theme of the free world and the uh, community of democracies is, as a way of uh, curbing Chinese influence and uniting uh, the, the democratic camp uh, around or rallying the, uh, them around the American flag, uh, Israel, of course, is also uh, considered among the democracies uh, of the region, the only one of the only two invited uh, to the democracy uh, Zoom conference organized uh, um, in, by the Biden administration in its first year of office. And all of this complicates uh, our uh, relationship to some extent with Beijing. The other side of the coin is that no Israeli government is inter interested in uh, quarreling with China. There are many issues. There are many issues uh, of uh, of mutual interest that do not impinge on uh, on the uh, United States strategic concerns, um, from agriculture to to medicine. But the more I would say modern techno postmodern technology enters into the realm of international competition. The situation for Israel becomes more delicate. Ruben, um, what we Israelis know or presume to know about China comes mostly from the media, and the media is uh, Western oriented, uh, even if it does not uh, intend to be biased. Is it all lost in translation? 
Yes. Well, don't forget, we do have uh, quite a few Israeli business people <coughs> in China. Some of them, some of them <coughs> living in China for many years. Uh, and we have very good uh, ties from that perspective, an embassy in China for, for many years. Uh, but, you know, still, the, the way we understand this environment, yes, it comes from the, from the media. Uh, don't forget that uh, if you go back to the 60s, the, who was China for the United States? Some evil entity closed from the world. And then we come to the opening up of the relationship by Henry Kissinger. And suddenly, you know, it's a partner for dialogue, etc. But things shift. In recent months, I think we see it in months, it's even no longer a question of uh, no longer the United States as a superpower. Is it going to be multipolar? No, it's bipolar. China is a rival now. And I think at least here we see this crystallizing. Another thing is because of modern technology, etc., because President Xi and the Communist Party clearly say what they intend to do. So if you take issues like the Belt and Road Initiative from 2013, it's not a secret. We don't have to analyze what they're trying to do. They say it. They write it. Very good websites, by the way. Long, long websites explaining what we think and what we feel what we do. So Israelis that want to know what's going on can. Still, yet, when I listen to Chinese and I listen to the Americans, they are two separate narratives. And we Israelis have a challenge how to cope with that. And we see currently how our regional partners like Saudi Arabia and Egypt are also managing that and changing their policies quite drastically. Tuvia, following uh, uh, Russia's invasion of uh, the Ukraine, the conventional wisdom is that uh, the world is once again um, being uh, divided into an American-led camp and an anti-American-led camp, and the anti-American camp is led by China rather than uh, by Ra Russia. Is that uh, a simplistic uh, view, or if it is true, how should Israel behave uh, regarding it? Um, short answer, yes, it is a simplistic view. I disagree with some of been said. Uh, and I think it's very important first uh, regarding uh, the question is who is we when we talk about Israel? We need to separate between the general public and between the media, that uh, their job is to sell papers, and between the policymakers. And there you'll find that Israel's approach to China is much more nuanced and we do have people that have been in service working on China for a couple of decades now and all the policymakers going all the way up to the prime minister a former president and to be uh, they stated clearly China is not our enemy we don't have any intentions to make it as such it still is Iran said a very important partner on many aspects and as for the question on the war in Ukraine it is also much more nuanced than a Cold War a two camps or anything like that. Even if we think of Russia and its relations to China, we see before the invasion, China, Xi Jinping and Putin declaring a no-limit partnership, and China has been supporting Russia in rhetoric, and especially against NATO. But when we look at the details, the picture is much more complex. China hasn't been selling weapons to Russia as opposed to Iran, for example. Uh, some of the support by state-owned Chinese companies is limited. And you can see that China is increasingly trying to distance itself from the conflict. Uh, and now even uh, with the Middle East visit, 
uh, foreign minister said, we have no limit partnerships with many countries all over the region, uh, including Iran, including Russia. And, and this way you see that uh, they're trying to limit the no limit partnership just a bit. But uh, again, to the question of the great power competition and multipolarity of the world, it is too early to talk about this. I think it hinders our understanding more than it works as a methodological framework to look at it right now. China and U.S. relations are much more closer than what the U.S. was with the Soviet Union. They are increasing. They are still very important economic partners. They still, despite all the bluster and rhetoric, work on many different fields, including climate change. Uh, and uh, the differences in the Chinese approach in comparison to the Soviet Union of days yore is also very different than the multipolarity that we've known. And the middle players in between, okay, we don't have a non-aligned movement, but we do have countries like Israel, like Middle Eastern countries that have a lot of agency and say in in this uh, major power competition and they are clearly are not interested in becoming involved. Unfortunately, they are being dragged into this and this week, for example, we see the Netherlands and Japan uh, might joining in the bandwagon of uh, curbing exports of uh, chips and semiconductors, advanced semiconductors to China. So we do have something happening. Uh, you can call it decoupling, you can use all these terms, but uh, uh, I just encourage the listeners to be very particular on the terms and look at the details and the different interests of the stakeholders. Dr. Lerman, there is um, one puzzling aspect to the uh, Beijing-Jerusalem-Washington triangle. It is quite understandable that the United States uh, would uh, put pressure on Israel or actually bar Israel from selling military technology or dual-use technology to China because um, the Americans see, as they uh, call it, China, the uh, pacing adversary, pacing rival, and they believe that 5-7... Uh, seven... The term is peer rival. Yes, but they, uh, that uh, uh, just like in, in uh, car racing, uh, China uh, has the pole position and uh, is uh, giving the other cars uh, the pace uh, in the race, uh, while Russia, for instance, uh, drags along but uh, is not um, ahead of the pack. But uh, while it is understandable that uh, the Americans would not want Israel to supply China with advanced military technology, it is puzzling that the Americans also do not want the Chinese to invest in Israeli infrastructure for fear that a monolithic CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, will gather information about uh, Israeli ports, Israeli roads, um, and will be able to control it uh, from afar. I, I think we've been able to persuade the, uh, our American friends that, for example, the Chinese role in the port of Haifa um, would, would reveal about as much information uh, on, um, on, on military aspects and so on, 
um, as would uh, a Chinese uh, citizen renting uh, a flat halfway up the hill on Mount Carmel with a couple of binoculars. Uh, so that 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 actually was, uh, I think, that that concern was laid to rest. A, a more delicate issue is the fear that infrastructure uh, infrastructure in the field of uh, fifth generation internet, fifth generation, and so on, would indeed give uh, the Chinese uh, government, because all of these uh, companies are at the end of the day government uh, related or party controlled, a back door into um, uh, much of Israeli uh, um, IP, uh, intellectual property, in the fields that can have and may have or may have a military uh, applications. Of course, the, the notion of what constitutes munitions in 2022 or coming on 2023 is a very different one than that of World War II or even the uh, end of the Cold War era when we fight cyber wars, when uh, an information campaigns will in uh, in the social networks, when you go out into space to dis to uh, disable uh, directly or, or in a more subtle way the infrastructure of rivals, etc., the meaning of uh, of I relevant IP uh, is changing, and Israel needs to handle this very very carefully. At the end of the day, we need to be attentive to American concerns uh, for obvious reasons. And at the same time, we are also um, uh, helping many of China's neighbors build up their own capacities, and we should be careful not to antagonize the Chinese beyond uh, what is absolutely necessary. Uven, when, when you um, have conversations uh, with uh, Chinese uh, visitors, uh, guests here, um, be they official or unofficial, And perhaps you, um, at the end of the business day, wind down over uh, their version of, of uh, drinks or just tea. What do they expect us to understand about them? They are inscrutable to our eyes if, if we don't know them. But what is their realistic expectation from Israelis? First, we're talking about business people in Israel and not representatives of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I see a very naive plea to please understand us, understand where we come from. You know, all we want, uh, this is a very clear narrative, all we want is uh, fruitful cooperation, uh, harmony, uh, all of us reaping the benefits of, of cooperation, uh, using also terminology that is very Western, Talk about renewable energy, sustainability, right? Making the world a better place. Also, don't forget, and I, I would bet that many Israelis don't know this, there are thousands of Chinese soldiers and peacekeeping forces around the world. I mean, China does invest a lot in having a footprint in doing things, you know, besides clearly promoting their Belt and Road Initiative. Now, also here, it's all part of a very good strategic calculation, but it works. I'm telling you, the, the, the actions work, the rhetoric works, and the people on the ground at the end reach out and expect to be understood. As far as questions, they ask me a lot about the relationship with the United States, everything discussed here. 
All I will say here is that the more complicated it is with the United States, or the more complex and serious it is, the more easy it is to understand with a very short answer of how strategically aligned we are with the United States, it's simple to grasp. It's not, in a way, it's not us, it's them, it's the circumstances. We cannot go back to the foolish mistakes we did in trying to sell the Falcon and the Harpy, yet we have so much to talk about and work on and collaborate in so many fields and enjoy and reap the benefits of, for instance, the Chinese companies that come to Israeli tenders. Iran, um, does the Israeli government expect the Chinese government to choose Israel over the Arab countries, at least those uh, who do not have peaceful relations with it? No, and uh, their voting pattern in the UN indicates that they have uh, a clear preference in diplomacy and in, to, to a large extent also from a business and a strategic perspective, um, basically adhering to a, a long-standing relationship with the Arab world. Israel is an, inter, an important interlocutor because of its technological achievements and its spirit of innovation, which the Chinese would very much like to emulate. It's not that easy to transfer. Uh, the the, the uh, Israeli ecosystem uh, to Chinese conditions. But not all of this is a zero-sum game in any way. If uh, China and uh, Saudi Arabia um, find common ground uh, on a conversation regarding the need to uh, pull Iran's tail, that's in Israel's benefit. And if, if Chinese investments help keep uh, the economy of Egypt uh, above water, above whatever it is that the Egyptian economy is swimming in, um, then um, it is very much in our interest. The Chinese are deeply involved in projects there, including the new capital of Egypt, the, uh, the so-called uh, administrative, which doesn't have a name yet. And, uh, and um, to see them there is uh, a plus. Nobody in the West can invest uh, the kind of money that Egypt needs to survive. And so uh, our, our look at it uh, should be very, very, uh, it should be very clear in our minds that we should avoid zero-sum games. And the Chinese should avoid looking at a zero-sum game about Israel's position in Asia. We, we, we do help uh, a number of countries which see China as a threat. But that doesn't mean that we share their, necessarily share their perspective. But isn't the overriding fact the Chinese dependence on oil from the uh, Arabian Gulf? Doesn't that uh, overtake all other considerations? Well, uh, nowadays Israel is an ally, an open ally of half uh, of, well, let's say, one third of the GCC openly and the other half uh, and the other third Overt, uh, covertly, we are very much on the same side. So the traditional zero-sum game concept is no longer relevant. I went to China in a delegation a few years ago, and we went there uh, with an emir. This is long before, uh, a few years before the uh, Abraham Accords. We went there with an Emirati um, uh, per, uh, leader who. Uh, a cultural leader who basically came to tell the Chinese that, that the entire concept of a zero-sum game is no longer relevant. Tuvia, uh, we are uh, very uh, uh, much at the end of our show. The Taiwan crisis looms large, 
And um, it is far away from here. What uh, uh, is uh, Israel's interest in it? Um, it looks as if it is very negligible. But there is um, one important interest, and that is seeing whether the American umbrella is going to open over a country, especially as Taiwan has decided uh, not to um, undertake um, a nuclear weapon uh, program, and whether the United States uh, will confront uh, China if China decides to invade or uh, even less than an invasion to shell and attack Taiwan. What is your view? So Taiwan is a flashpoint in the great power competition. Many see it as the flashpoint that may lead to an eventual conflict between China and the United States. And in case that happens, it will be a complete reshuffling of the geopolitical decks of history as we know it. It will have immense implications worldwide to uh, peace and stability and to supply uh, chains all over the world. And of course, Israel will be affected. And regards to Israel's position, so Israel also subscribes to the one China policy that there is only one China between the Taiwan Strait. But uh, it also tries to maintain good economic relationship with Taiwan. Just today, uh, there was an interview with Taiwan's foreign minister, Joseph Wu, to whine at uh, local media, and that's his third this year. And in it, he says that Taiwan sees in Israel a role model, and it wishes to emulate it because Israel, too, is surrounded by enemies and also appreciates its innovation spirit. And he sees it as a like-minded country, a small democracy that is a close ally to the United States. And this is only one example of several approaches made by Taiwan toward Israel. And uh, over the last few years, we see Taiwan becoming a major economic partner of Israel, almost rivaling uh, major powers like Japan in terms of trade. And Israel, too, is paying much closer attention to it, but again, trying not to get in between Taiwan and China because this is not our fight. Uh, however, with the United States and Biden, President Biden, making four remarks that the U.S. will come to Taiwan's defense in case of a Chinese attack, uh, so the media called it gaffes, but, uh, you know, once you do it four times, it's no gaff at all. And, and President Biden has been involved with Taiwan for over 50 years. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, so it is pretty dangerous situation. Uh, we must keep an eye on and Again, it will have implications on Israel, even if we try to distance ourselves, because Israel is part of the world. Uh, the same reason uh, we are uh, become implicated from the war in Ukraine, this will make the war in Ukraine look uh, walk in the park. So, well, so uh, Israel adheres to the one China policy, but uh, China uh, does not adhere to the one Israel policy of those wishing uh, Israel from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River to control um, all the uh, territories uh, indefinitely. But we have run out of time. We will go into China's Palestinian-Israeli policy on another show. Um, in the meantime, Rubia <coughs> Gehring, Eran Lerman, and Ruben Ben Shalom, thank you. And we will be back for another edition of Jerusalem Studio. Thank you. Shalom from Jerusalem. 
Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.